Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And we did an interview with Celia Perez, the wonderful author of The First Rule of Punk and Strange Birds, last summer in 2020. Um, It was part of our mini-episode series, and uh, we are finally very glad to bring it to you today. Celia, your books are really close to my own heart because I was a 90s girl I was, you know, just a little junior to the riot girl scene. Um, So I was making art in my room and not showing it to anybody and making collages and stuff like that. What is your background with zine making? So I've been making zines for for a long time, going back to those riot girl days, um, because I was in college in the early to mid 90s. And when I when I went to college, I I was I was going to school in this little uh, college town called Gainesville, which is the town that Malu is living in at the beginning of the first rule of punk, and it's where I got into punk music because there was a pretty big local punk scene. And around that same time, I, you know, I was going to record stores and looking, you know, buying records, and I would always notice these little publications on the magazine rack. They're usually kind of in the bottom, like sort of like tucked, you know, behind other things. And they look like these just little booklets that somebody just made at home and photocopied. And I was really intrigued by them. And around the same time I was reading um, about Beans and Sassy Magazine, which was a, a publication that was about late 80s, early 90s. And it was sort of like the alternative to YM and 17. And they uh, had a little like zine of the month column, which was the very first place that I'd heard about zines. And as someone who was into punk, but not necessarily interested in playing music, and I I saw zines as sort of like a way to, to create something within that scene. And so that's how I started making zines back in the 90s. And my zines are typically have always been personal zines, which is what Malu's character makes in the first rule of punk. You know, there are all kinds of genres of zines. So there's, you know, there are poetry zines, there are recipe zines, there are comic zines, and um, and there are personal zines or per zines, which are zines where people write about their own experiences and, you know, their own lives and things that are happening in their world. Um, and I didn't see a lot of zines by other people of color, which was something that I was always kind of seeking out. And so I just, I started making zines where I wrote about, you know, my family and my upbringing and my culture and and music and, you know, whatever was happening in, in my life. And that, you know, just kind of went from there. I've been making them for, I mean, I still make them, not as much as I used to, but it's been, you know, a good 20 plus years now that I've been creating zines. I love that they are so, to me, they feel really accessible. It's, you know, it's this format of self-publishing that kind of doesn't require permission from, from someone to create. Uh, it doesn't, require that you ask others what your content should be and it requires very little as far as tools and materials go you know you don't need a computer you don't need anything fancy any kind of fancy software you just need paper and something to write with and you know maybe a pair of scissors depending on what type of zine you're making but it's just something that anyone can make do you have a large like um archive of images and little materials that you have like set aside for your zine making? 
I do. I have this big fat like accordion folder where I just it's just crammed full of scraps that I just cut and tear and have like collected over the years. So I, I just kind of add to it whenever. And, and I typically like when I'm making a zine, I, I look for images and for materials like just kind of around the house. So when I was making the zines for, for the first world of punk, all of the, um, and I like to point this out to kids is that all of the stuff that I made the zines with were things that I found at home. So like a lot of the backgrounds are the insides of security envelopes that your bills come in, you know, they have those designs that no one ever really pays attention to because you just want to throw, pay them and throw them away as quick as possible. But it's like, it's got all, they've got all these cool designs and I used a bunch of those for backgrounds. I'll cut, you know, letters out of magazines and, um, you know, sometimes I'll draw my own, my own images, but for the most part, it is just like a lot of kind of clip art that I've collected over the years. Like I see something that's, you know, that I think looks cool or is of interest or I may have use for at some point and I'll just bash it away, which drives my husband crazy because I have like stacks of stuff all over the place that I just can't throw away because I think someday it may be good for something. (laughs) That sounds very familiar. And <laughs> and if the pandemic has taught me anything, I was just waiting for an opportunity like this. So I was right. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I've got like yesterday there was a shoebox that was about to go out into the recycling bin and I I I the funny thing is I waited for my husband to leave the room so that he wouldn't see me like take it down to take it down to the basement <laughs> and and bash it away because I figured, you know, you may have use for this. <laughs> My entire house right now is littered with like binoculars made out of painter's tape and toilet paper rolls and like yesterday my my daughter yeah. who's five she made a, a castle like a full-fledged castle with turrets and crenellation and everything out of um a tissue box and I'm like oh well I guess it's glad right. we had this bags of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Everything, throwing anything away now feels kind of wasteful. I, I, I feel like sometimes it's like anything could possibly yeah. be used for something. <laughs> and you never know. Yeah. <laughs> We've been using uh, toilet paper and paper towel rolls as marble runs. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. idea. I like that. Yeah, it's fun. I was looking at your website this morning just to sort of refresh and I looked at the reviews that you had listed for your books. And I think my favorite thing mm-hmm. is that before like Kirkus or Horn Books or Publishers Weekly, anything like that, you have like reviews from nine-year-olds. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always my favorite. And I do ask, can I, can I post this on my website? Because it, it just makes me like, it makes me so happy because that's, you know, it's, the book, I feel like the, the books are for any reader, but when I write, a lot of times I, I I write for, I think, who I was at that age and who I, you know, what I would have wanted to read and who I wanted, would have wanted to be more like. And so to know that kids are, um, I mean, I love to hear that adults connect with the books, but to know that kids are connecting um, with the books is just, it's just really special because I, when I, whenever I think about my life as a reader, my favorite memories are of you know, being those ages, like 9, 10, 11, 12, which is why I write for those ages. And I hope that someday, you know, kids who are enjoying the books now will kind of think back and think of uh, of these as, as their good reading memories. Well, as an adult reader who loves your books, but as an adult, one thing that I connect with, it, 
you know, just remembering what kind of reader I was at that age with Rule of Punk and Strange Birds is how empowered the kids become with things they can create. And Mm -hmm. I love that it's scaled so that it works across all different types of kids' circumstances. So most kids can have access to paper and glue and art supplies. And so mm-hmm. in some regard, even if it's just at school. And so I love that that way of, you know, they, they may not have a computer at home, so they can't do stuff like that, you know, but they can still create with the stuff that's around them. And I think that that's incredible that, that you've put that in both of those books. Thanks. Yeah, and I think I think that that goes back to when I when I first you know when I first got into punk it was it was definitely about about the music and it, you know just it was just really exciting to me you know and then as I learned more about punk I when I think back on it now I think what really what really has stayed with me beyond the music because I still you know I still listen to, to those, some of those bands that I listened to when I was in college but. The thing that has really stayed with me and the thing that really excited me about punk was seeing other people my age creating things. Not all and, and not always, you know, some kids had had the means to to do like, you know, to put out records and stuff like that. But you know, for a lot of kids it was making things with their own hands, you know, printing their own shirts and making their own screens and making their own sleeves for their records and, you know, just looking for ways to to put out in the world what you know, what they wanted to see in the world even if they didn't have access to like, you know, the, the fancy um, company record company supplies or fancy printing supplies. And so I think I always think about that when I'm writing about trying to make the idea of activism something that is, that is accessible and the idea of putting, you know, your thoughts and your creations out into the world without waiting for someone to give you permission, you know, for looking to figure out, figuring out ways to, to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and not just having, you have to pick by from a one corporate slogan out of five, right? You can create yeah. your own, your own thing and it, you, no right. one else may have ever seen it or done it before, but you have the means to do it yourself. And that's incredibly powerful, particularly with, you know, everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're definitely, I think we're, we're definitely seeing sort of more, like more grassroots activism has become, you know, I mean, it's always been a thing, but I think now it's things like even like the youngest kids can really figure out ways and, and to be involved or can, uh, you know, parents can figure out ways for their young kids to be involved in a way that, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're like, we have access to money and you're donating or you have access to like, you know, what, maybe in the past you might've needed access to in order to be involved in, in social movement. So, yeah, I mean, I just hope that the books that I'm writing are, are like giving young readers a sense of, you know, a sense of power that I feel like when I was a kid, I didn't really have, you know, I never really, I felt like I never really had a voice. And so writing became the way in which I best express myself. And I think when I'm writing, I'm always thinking about kids in terms of who I was when I was that age and like that feeling of powerlessness in the world. And I think that I'm always kind of trying to figure out ways to give kids ideas of of how they can express themselves. I think Strange Birds especially accomplishes that very well. I'm working on a, now, I'm working on a middle grade novel now, and it won't be out for probably another couple of years. (laughs) The process um, is really long. (laughs) Sadly, no. 
I know. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not somebody who like cranks things out pretty quickly. So unfortunately I guess strange birds, the paperback is the, is the next thing that'll be out in September. Anybody who hasn't read strange birds yet should, it's really great. And, um, super readable too. Like I, sometimes I find that books that are, uh, have any other agenda besides just straight up entertainment can sometimes be a little slow or unreadable, but like this one is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, yeah. So putting birds and activism together, obviously you've talked about being into activism. Where did your interest in birds come from or where did it start? Um, so I'm kind of kind of, think back to what came first. I think what happened what, what happened first was I originally had two characters in the earliest draft of Strange Birds. And my thing was that I wanted to write a book about this, this group of kids that create an alter, like a, their own alternative uh, scout troop. And so just having two kids seemed, <laughs> seemed kind of goofy. <laughs> and so, so, um, so, then, uh, so then two new characters were added. And one of them was um, Kat, who was the, the bird watcher. And thinking about her character and her, she, you know, she was going to be the one who was involved in the, the kind of more traditional, long-standing troop in this town. And thinking about her story, I think I was just kind of like online one day, and I came across an article about the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and how that came to be, and that is what kind of sort of kicked off my my interest in birds and in making this character a bird watcher reading about, you know, the women in Boston who were involved in protesting the, the hunting of birds for their feathers to be used, you know, in hats. And um, if you look at some of the images online, you'll see that like sometimes they had like whole taxidermy birds on hats. And um, it was just like this really, you know, big craze. And so just that, just, I just found that story so, so interesting. And so that is where the whole bird thing came from. And, and one of the things that has been kind of a, a, a way in which I like kind of been, have been enjoying being stuck inside. If I guess if you can enjoy being stuck inside is um, I've been watching birds in my backyard. <laughs> so I've got my binoculars and I'll watch them come to our feeder. And, and it's just something that I enjoyed doing now that I never thought I, I mean, that's that I ever, I, I never really had any feeling for against birds. They were just, <laughs> you know, birds. But they're just there, you know, just like any other thing you see in, you know, out in the wild of the city. And, um, but now, yeah, now I've I've grown fond of birds, but yeah, so that story is where it all kind of came from originally. It's funny when we do um, pretty much any episode, Jenny makes these very comprehensive show notes with links and references and all this. And I feel like you have just sent her down a rabbit hole of finding creepy taxidermy birds on hats to link to in our show. Oh notes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a bit much. Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> uh, well, considering some of the other things. Really interesting. Yeah. We would love to ask you if you have any particular favorite Newbery books. I do. So when I was a kid, my favorite was The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Oh yeah. And um, I still have. I still have my book report with the construction paper cover from like sixth grade. And I was really proud of that book report because I drew the cover of the book on my pink construction paper. Nice. <laughs> um, but my, my favorite, so my favorites now are on a book. My, I think one of my favorites is Frog and Toad Together by nice. Arnold Lobel, mm-hmm. which maybe, and I could be wrong, might be still the only easy reader to I think it's I think it's the only one that's technically an easy reader. Yeah, I mean there are short books and picture books, but that's the only one I think that really is categorized that way. Still, 
Yeah. Yeah. So that one. And then the other one is Doll Bones by Holly Black. <gasps> Yes. yes. <laughs> Which, um, because I love creepy dolls. <laughs> and and it's just it's such a sweet book. Um and it's I don't know, anytime I read it, anything that really captures what it I think what it feels like to to recognize that you're growing up is just it's just so heartbreaking and sweet and I mean bittersweet. So yeah, so those two. Oh, we love that one. We did a big uh, review episode about doll boons and, and talked to Holly also. So, uh, yeah, we're big fans. Good choice. I, say I recommend the book if anyone needs one lighthearted and, and hilarious. Yes, please. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. The Dory Phantasmagory book. Oh, yes. <laughs> if, any, if anyone's looking for a good laugh, I, I love those books. And it's, I've kind of try to pace I know there I think there are only five of them so um during this period I kind of try to pace myself so that I have a little bit of dory left when I really need some dory <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful oh well thank you no recommendations are always super welcome but yeah we uh we're thrilled that we got a chance to talk to you finally and I'm glad that you're doing well oh thank yeah thanks so much I really appreciate it and I'm I'm glad too that we finally got a chance to to talk and thanks for yeah yeah, thanks for putting this together. Thank you for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast as we talked with the delightful Celia Perez. Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.